Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey there, Get to Vet, Trevor Maxwell back with another episode, and with me as always is my partner in podcasting. Mike Riggs, great to be back. Hey, and uh, real quick, before we, you know, kind of get into the meat of the episode, um, if you're listening, maybe you've seen some of the posts that I've had since our our last episode, and I I wanted to kind of take a minute and and talk about that. Um, If you weren't aware, you know, our last guest, Derek Griffin, was talking about, you know, dealing with terminal cancer. And, um, you know, I'd had conversations with him before we recorded our episode and, you know, solid dude, he just said, Hey, I want to teach my, you know, tell people my story and hopefully, you know, they'll learn from, from lessons that I've, that I had to learn the hard way. And, and, you know, his episode was called be your own advocate. And that was some stuff I took to heart. I know like when I go see my doctor in January, I'm going to say, Hey, bitch, fucking, I'm going to, I'm going to do this stuff, right? <laughs> we are going to do it. I'm not asking you if you think it's a good idea. We're going to do it. But um, I really wanted to, you know, take a minute and talk about him because, you know, Mike and I recorded an episode with him on Thursday and, um, you know, his episode came out on a Monday and we had uh, received notice that he had passed away on that Tuesday. And, you know, so I was super sad to, to hear that news, but also, and I I know I speak for Mike when I say this, um, super proud that, uh, we were able to give him the opportunity to, to do that and tell his story and, and share his experiences. And, uh, you know, so from our hearts go out to his family and, um, I hope, you know, somebody else listens to that episode and it helps them. And, you know, also I wanted to put this out there too. Uh, hopefully this is, uh, you know, as he's looking down on us, this kind of makes him smile a little bit, but his episode is now our most downloaded episode. And, uh, he has more downloads in the last three weeks than episodes that we've had on here since we started almost two years ago. Um, so just wanted to put that. Yeah. I'd like to mention too, the day before we lost Josh Christie too, senior chief, uh, EOD tech that worked for me when I was the, at the EOD school, um, gone way too early as well in a very, very similar circumstance as Derek. I think we talked about it a little bit with Derek about Josh, but we never really mentioned anything. Uh, I don't think by name about Josh, but, uh, he, he was a, a really, really, really good dude that worked with me and, uh, uh, of similar circumstances as Derek's and, you know, you like you said before you really got to be your own advocate you know i think josh was uh taken from us at the age of 36 and i think Derek was 38 uh so um guys especially you know ones that do our professions man you know we we you know like we've said on here before we finally make it through to the end and and then you lose guys like that that you know, to, to things that are, I think some, some things that we all got to look at and fight for and be our advocate. So yeah, yeah, it was a tough week. It sure was. Um, but you know, our next episode, uh, also very excited to have our guests on here. And this is ties into our last guest because, uh, our guest today is the person who introduced us to Derek and, 
and, you know, helped us give him the opportunity to tell his story and hopefully, you know, fulfill his wishes. So, uh, Mike, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, Mike DeVito, uh, former seventh group. Uh, Derek and I were teammates on our first teams when we first got to seventh group. Um, deployed together, you know, we, we lived pretty much we are we are actually roommates uh, stateside for a few months while my family was moving from Tampa Bay area up here. <clears throat> so Derek and I spent a lot of time together. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we appreciate that. And I had actually met you uh, through Brage, another person who uh, Mike and I have had on the show and we're both uh, big fans of. And, um, yeah, she had reached out to me and said, Hey, you got to connect with this guy, Mike, he's got a really good story to tell. Uh, you should maybe even think about having him come on the podcast. And so you and I talked and, uh, you kind of told, told me a little bit about it. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then that was where you said, Hey, you got to talk to my other buddy too. Um, but, uh, yeah. So you, you got, uh, how long, how long ago did you get out? So I medically retired like Derek in uh, 2018. I think I was a couple years behind him, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was medically retired 2016. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been out now for oof, over four years. And it's uh, now it seems like it's, it's flown by, but it definitely it didn't feel that way for the first few years. I'm in the same boat. I'm creeping up on five years right now. I was, I got out in 2018 as well. So yeah, mine was, uh, let's see, January, January 15th, 2018. Okay. Yeah. You got a few months on me. I was, I was, I, I retired a week before my 38th birthday. So I've been out for an hour whopping year year and a month that went by pretty quick too yeah tell you. i can imagine i was dumb enough staying for 30 so not advisable <laughs> <laughs> just so you know when i met mike he had jet black hair and uh <laughs> really? show, my failures of leadership yeah. right there yeah actually no i think your hair was the same color it is now if i'm not mistaken <laughs> Uh, no, 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 it wasn't. <laughs> I have video and uh photo proof of that, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's funny you bring up Mike's hair because Derek's hair was always uh good salt and pepper, and then once we all turned 30, he started going like almost completely solid gray. And uh, we used to joke like, oh, man, you know, if my hair starts to turn gray early, I'm going to just rock it like you are. You know what I mean? I never mm -hmm. thought in a million years that I would start losing it at 30. Well, I knew I would. So. If you look at my dad and pictures of both my grandfathers, I was like, oh, I'm fucked. Um, <laughs> whatever. I just shaved my head. But now my beard's gray, too. It's it's coming in and and more and more patches. So, uh, you know, I'll let you kind of lead off wherever you want to with your story, but I know you had some good things to, to kind of share with us. And, um, you know, again, too, like, I, yeah, get, put it, you know, whatever you want to talk about, we're here to, 
to discuss and kind of ask more questions about. But uh, yeah, go ahead and I'll, I'll let you lead off. Right on. Yeah. Uh, so mine's more of a, uh, a story of my transition from the military. Um, how difficult it was. Um, hopefully it will serve as an example of what not to do. Um, you know, and, and maybe be a, a helpful benchmark for somebody that may be struggling with some of the same things that I was at the same time. Um, <clears throat> so medically retired, like I said, at about 10 years. Um, personally, I feel like if you are retiring after your period of service, you know, 20 years, or you're making a conscious decision that your time and service is up, you mentally are able to prepare yourself better for it. Um, that's just my opinion, you know, not having been able to walk on that side of the, of the grass, but when you medically retired or, you know, you're discharged for whatever reason, and it's not necessarily your personal choice. I don't, I don't think you get as much opportunity to mentally prepare yourself, which is certainly advisable you know, to be as prepared as possible. So um, at the same time I was retiring, I was going through significant um, family drama. Um, I, I knew for years that my wife and I were headed for a divorce. And uh, we, you know, we try to keep it together. And then, you know, about two months after I got out, it was like we hit a brick wall and we were done, just done. So um, I filed for divorce and moved out in March of 2018. <clears throat> and, it, you know, everything just kind of fell apart. It was ugly. It was it was not pretty at all. Um, cops were called. Uh, just all of the worst divorce stories that you've heard from soft guys, you know, picture all of that, throw them together. And, and that's, that's kind of what it was. I, I'm not going to do any bashing here because it's not going to get us anywhere, but um, we fought and fought for about two years before our divorce was finalized. And um I asked for three things, right? I asked that we split custody of our kids, that they stayed local, and that when we sold our house, that we split the uh, profits. And, you know, basically we were just parents to our kids. And when we went to court for the final time, uh, I, got, I got none of that. The judge granted her the right to move. She moved. Um, I got 25% or so visitation with, with the boys when I was, when she would let me see them. Um, and then I wound up having to sign over the house to her, uh, in exchange for uh, erasing an arrearage debt that the, the courts assigned to me that was just preposterous. <laughs> so in all that period of time, I, I tried to 
I guess, hold it together mentally. And then when I, when we went to court, I just kind of fell apart. You know what I mean? Um, self-destructed, turned my back on everybody that loved me and um, just went away into my own little world. Um, and it was, it was terrible. And it wasn't really until later that I I'd stopped um, digging myself into a hole that I realized how bad it was because, you know, when you're self-medicating, you don't really see all the damage that you're doing and, and even more so the damage that you're doing to the people around you that, that care. Um, so when I came out and cleaned up and straightened my shit out and I took a step back and looked at it and I was like, wow, you know, you really fucked up. You really upset a lot of people and pushed a lot of great people out of my life that luckily, you know, they, they cared enough about me that they stuck around and, you know, we're, we're doing much better now, but it wasn't pretty for a long time. <clears throat> um, yeah. I mean, what do you, you know, as far as like, I know that stuff didn't just damn happen one day, I guess, you know, when you take the time to look back on it, what were some of the, you know, some of the things that maybe you identified that were kind of precursors to, to, to having a lot of those issues that you dealt with? I think a lot of us in the community, uh, defined ourselves by what we did and, and who we were in that life. Um, you know, like for me, I was an SF medic. So that was my dream. I was living my dream. I, I would still be doing it today. I would probably do it for the rest of my life if I could do it physically. I loved it. It wasn't a job. You know what I mean? It was, it was fantastic to show up in the team room every day. I would have been there seven days a week. I don't I don't think my family would have stuck around as long as they did, but um yeah, it was phenomenal. So I we we kind of define ourselves by who we are and what we did in the military. And um like I said, that uh, that abrupt transition from who you are or who you perceive yourself to be into a completely different life in so many ways, you know, no more military, um, the divorce. I moved five or six times in that two years. I was homeless. Um, I filed for bankruptcy. I, I, I started over. I was at absolute rock bottom. And I, I think it was just uh, not really knowing how to start putting my uh you know one foot in front of the other and and moving forward with my life from there you know you, i think pride had a lot to do with it as well i never asked anybody for help um i never accepted anybody's help even though they offered i had plenty of friends and family reach out to me call me text me regularly like hey how you doing checking on you you know, do you need anything? Can I help you with something? 
most of the time I would ignore them, you know, not respond, not pick up. Um, and when on the off chance that I did, typically my answer was, no, I'm good. When in reality, I, I wasn't, I wasn't even close to good. But, you know, loss of tribe, as Brage would put it, um, and then losing everything that I thought that I had, you know, I still have my kids and, and my relationship with my former wife is much better now. We, we, we co-parent very well together. Uh, we've put all our differences aside and, and decided that, you know, our common ground is our children. and We're going to raise them as best as we can. But, um, yeah, losing, losing my career, losing my home, my family, everything that I knew and, and everything that was my life for a decade just vanished in 18 months. And it was, it was traumatizing. And what was your time from when you were notified of your med board to the time you were out? Oh man, it went quick when it was finally approved. I think that I had six weeks. Um, and you, you know, trying to soldier for life taps, uh, out processing group out processing the army. And, and the unique thing about seventh group is, is that there is no central army command, um, where seventh group is. It's an army outpost on air force property and the nearest big army base is fort rucker alabama which is two hours away so i did taps at eglin <clears throat> i did out processing at group i did final out at fort rucker and that was it uh, a handshake from a seated position and a flag and see you later have a nice day um, yeah i think you know like you guys that get medically retired like me you know i was a 30-year dude we talked about earlier um you know i knew when it was time to go and i knew i had time to figure it out you know we talked to people you know say at least a year best case two years to start figuring out what's next it, you know even the folks the service members they're like all right i'm doing four years they know most of them for i would say my first enlistment, I said, there's no way in hell I'm staying in past six years. Uh, and then lo and behold, 30 years later, uh, there I am. But, you know, there are folks that go, all right, I'm doing four years. I'm getting out. I'm going to college. That's their thing. They still have that time to process that stuff out. I think you guys, the folks that get med boarded out are the ones that get screwed over the most because they just jam everything into extremely constraint, constraint, constraint or constraint, Jesus came to talk, constraint time frame, and they tell you to figure it out. You know, not only because, you know, like you're saying, most folks that I know that I've worked with, especially in our communities, they get med boarded out and tended to stay in for much longer, or they were severely injured doing what we used to do. So, and even those guys still have a long time, you know, between surgeries and all that. They fix those guys up a lot better before they just boot them out. Um, but the ones, the short-term guys like you, I think it's extremely unfair to put folks in that predicament because, you know, the flip side, people say, well, civilian world, they, they just give you a pink slip and they pat you on the ass and show you the door. That's right. 
you don't go through weeks and weeks and months mm-hmm. and months of stuff that we have and training to institutionalize your ass to do what we do. And then all of a sudden just tell you, Hey, yeah, sorry, man. Uh, we'll help you out the best we can, but there's the fence. So I think you guys and your special, you know, specifically your example is what not to do from an organizational perspective, because I think it really puts you guys in a tough spot. And I think your story is a great example of some of the consequences of doing that type of shit to people. Yeah. And, and I agree, Mike. And, you know, um, I actually found out about you guys through my uh, mentor slash coach with the honor foundation, which I was uh, fortunate enough to get in, involved with uh, even post transition. And that, that's the great thing about that program is it's not necessarily like a, a six to 12 months out program and, and you're eligible it's opened up to guys that were soft or uh, in, in soft units post transition, which is really nice. But, um, you know, nobody ever told me about any of this stuff um, when I was on my way out. I want to believe that things have gotten more structured and better, at least specifically for, you know, my example with seventh group being an isolated post Um the word is being spread. There's a, uh, an Eglin Air Force Base uh, cohort for the Honor Foundation. So it's specifically for this area, for 7th Group and Eglin Air Force Base, Duke, Herbert, uh, Special Operations people. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, and it's, it's a big machine on one hand. But on the other hand, you're right. You can't, you can't just kick somebody out the door that you've you've had your blinders on to the rest of the world for you know in my case a decade your case three decades you don't know what the hell's going on i don't know about you but when i got out into the civilian world i was like holy shit where the hell have i been i don't know how to use civilian technology you know uh all of the all of the the linkedin the the professional social media things that the networking the professional networking all of this stuff was like teaching to a toddler with me you know luckily i have the ability to learn semi uh decent at a semi-decent rate but even still it's a steep learning curve you know when you don't know anything about it yeah i I used go ahead I was just saying, plus you don't have cargo pockets anymore to put your spit bottles in. and uh, Exactly. <laughs> well, I used to use the analogy, you know, for 30 years, I'm this puppy on this leash and I don't know anything. And then somebody finally opens up the front door and you run out and you're like, oh my God, I can do this. I can do this. I can. And it's like, you don't know what to do because there's so much to do, you know, because th- we just don't know what's out there. Because like you said, we've been living within the fence line in our specific communities doing specifically what we're tasked to do. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, you know, I can do this in this field or what, what does this position even mean? I don't even understand. And how, how the hell do you translate 18 Delta or EOD or seal sniper or whatever? How do you translate that shit into civilian skill set? I've seen them, you know, hats off to folks like commit honor foundation, man, they're masterful at, putting that narrative out there and how you 
translate all that crap, but you know, it's daunting up front with time to prepare for it, let alone just being having that kind of rip from you and go, Hey man, thanks for playing, figure it out. Yeah, agreed. And you know, to their credit, the Honor Foundation has been fantastic. Uh let's see, when when did we start? We started in September. So, you know, we're two months into this thing and we're nearing graduation now. Uh, I I feel like I am leaps and bounds ahead of where I would have been, you know, had I had I not been a part of the Honor Foundation and, and the things that they have provided me. Um the professional network is one of the greatest tools that, that they offer. Um, the coaching, the mentoring bridge has been fantastic. Um, but yeah, that, you know, they help you find out what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, help you with uh, building a, a suitable LinkedIn page, writing a resume that means something to a, a corporate employer, you know, translating your military skills into uh, the corporate world or, you know, whatever you want to do, they help tailor. It's a, it's almost like a create your own destiny um, for the rest of your life. You know, they, they really help set you up for success and I'm fortunate to be a part of it. Let me, but I didn't know about any of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Let me ask you this because I, I asked this to everybody. I mean, I've been coaching with the honor foundation for, almost four years now um i talked to some people because this seems to be the thing that most people write off when they start um first phase right kind of talking about discovering who you are and i always think this is important because you said something that i dig into a lot with guys that are about to retire or or haven't retired yet and and this is something that for me i just kind of I was lucky enough to realize myself like, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to be jumping out of planes and blowing shit up anymore. Um, I have to come to terms with that. Like I'm never going to be as cool as I used to be. Um, I can't identify as that anymore. If I'm going to continue to be happy, I have to go out and I have to find something else. Like, yes, that's part of who I am. It's it developed me into the person I am today, but like, that's not, that's not like what I used to do for a living is not who I am. It's something I did and, and helped shape me into the person I am now. What was your kind of initial reaction to the first phase where you start digging into like finding out who you are versus now that you're kind of get to the end of it? I came into it a little bit more mentally prepared, I think, than some of the, the other folks that are in it with me right now that are still on active duty because I'm the only one that has transitioned in my class right now. So I'm the only retired or separated individual in the class that I'm in. Um, but I had a lot of time to reflect introspectively during my period of, we'll call it darkness, um, and, and pose those questions to myself. And just like you said, you know, figure out that who I used to be is not who I am going to be or who I am today. And I spent a lot of time dwelling on that and, you know, angry and all the emotions that come with it, you know, um, that I couldn't do it anymore. And, and I was upset or depressed or mad or, you know, it was a, a myriad of emotions that, that I felt throughout that whole thing. But I had a lot of time um, to myself. <laughs> 
I put 60,000 miles on my motorcycle in that period of time. Most of it was alone. So I had plenty of time to think. And um, I had the I had the questions. They helped me find the answers. So I, I was a little bit more open-minded walking into that phase. And I welcomed it. Um, and, and they helped me pare down you know, all the answers to those questions that I had pretty much already formulated. They just structured it for me. I think you make a great point too with your motorcycle ride and your kind of discovery. You see a lot of dudes that will, oh, hey, I'm going on terminal and I'm going to take up this job, you know, and then I'm going to start working in that. And almost, I've never heard anyone say, I wish I wouldn't have taken time off between retirement and start my next gig. Never heard that. I've always heard, yeah, you know, I wish I wouldn't, you know, I, I had, I had just, picked up this opportunity because you know present itself and i took it and then i'm back in the grind again but i think that's a solid point and a, and a great thing to emphasize is take some time off discover what the hell you want to do what you don't want to do have fun spend time with the family especially us that have been grinding it out for you know the past 20 years in the operational tempo that we were doing um i, I think everybody needs to do it Mine would have been a, a hell of a lot more productive if I had done it in that manner. Mine was was, was pretty much, you know, 60,000 miles of, of riding angry or, you know, uh, high or, you know, just running away from everything, you know, trying to forget it and, and trying to not have to deal with all those issues. And you know, the bottom line of it is you can run as far and as fast as you want to, but they catch up. And at some point you have to deal with that shit, you know, and um, the, the the wake up call for me was um, during period of homelessness, I slept in my truck and um, I woke up on the beach one night. It was like four o'clock in the morning. And I had no fucking idea where I was at. And it, it there was a full moon. And <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been out to uh, the beaches between Pensacola Beach and Navarre Beach, but it's it's miles and miles and miles of national seashore. There's nothing out there. And I woke up in the truck and it was cold and it just looked like a moonscape. I fucking thought I was on the moon. I thought I was dreaming. And I, I stood there and I stared out the window for a while. Everything was starting to come back in and figuring out like, holy shit, you're in your truck. I'm like time for you, time for you to figure it out. Put your shit fucking, put your shit back together. Get your life back in order. Straighten up. So that's when I started reaching out, you know, swallowed that pride and um, reached out to old teammates, old Q course buddies family, friends, all the people that I shut out and, um, you know, call them up and I'm told them all, uh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I think what you're, what you're doing, you know, the maintaining that network, we talk about it quite a bit, but I think that's a lifeline for all of us. You know, we see a lot of our guys that, that go off the rails and never come back, man. They make that 
that ultimate decision for for suicide and things like that um new guys you know former teammate or former co of mine drank himself to death not too long ago I learned about that not too long ago um but the guys that you know fortunately you know for like trevor and i we live in the same neighborhood you know so we see each other quite often i got another retired teammate of mine who's right behind me um but i can't imagine just after 30 years in the navy going back to vienna west virginia and going okay i'm going to be all right that's complete crap if i didn't maintain these lifelines doing this you know doing these podcasts that's it's my sanity you know and i think you know doing what you did hitting rock bottom like that and reaching out to your teammates i mean i think that's you know i'd hate to see it if it wouldn't have gone that way man because i don't think it would have been good for you and i think you know you gotta you know folks have to do that and i think we all go through that and it, everybody's rock bottom is at a different depth and you know then another point is you know like honor foundation and all these other things that that we have that you know if they wouldn't be so great if the stuff that we get that's mandatory wasn't so shitty <laughs> that sucks you know um but I, I threw that point in there just but back to yours you know man I'm, I'm really glad that you uh were you know and i you know i say this too you know when when folks think about courage and shit like that you know like you know we're talking about jumping out of planes blowing shit up you know uh doing doing assaults you know things like that that's that's a different type of courage man but i think you know to reach out like you did that's a completely different uh bucket of courage you got to grab from uh, and and really to reach out like that and i don't think a lot of people will think well you guys are just all a bunch of tough soft dudes and that type of shit well nah we got our weaknesses too you know and and i'm, I'm really glad that you had the courage to reach out and and find yourself where you're at man it wasn't easy it, it definitely wasn't easy and you know to that point, um, when I told this story, so the, the Honor Foundation does a story night where you you pick a story, you kind of rehearse it, and you present your story, and it's just to focus on your storytelling abilities. Well, <laughs> I showed up completely unprepared that night. I had no fucking idea it was story night. I was like, shit. So I'm like, fuck it. I guess I'm just going to tell the story that I'm most familiar with. And I rolled with that one, but it had been the third time I told the story in a public setting. And I'll tell you about the other two in a second, but it was the hardest because I was now standing in front of a group of what I consider to be my peers, you know, a, a group of well-respected individuals that, you know, I, I tip my hat to, and I give a shit about what they think. I probably cared more about what they think than any other group of individuals that I've told this story to previously. Um, and it was hard. And it was probably the most well-received than any other time I've ever told it. Um, but yeah, it, it was humbling. It was humbling to, to swallow, <laughs> swallow my pride and, and ask for help and, admit that I was fucking up and admit that I purposely ignored all the people that cared about me. You know, something that I always think about when I hear <laughs> stories like that 
and people are afraid to do it. Like, like Mike and I talked about this when we started this podcast, like our apprehension about doing it. Cause we hate hearing the sound of our voice. I think everybody hates hearing the sound of their voice, but cause I, I listen to the podcast. I'm like, do I really fucking sound like that? that <laughs> oh my God. But <clears throat> I can tell you how many people are like, dude, I listen to your podcast. It was great. Like, you know, I, learn a lot of stuff because that's kind of what we we like to talk about whatever like the tap class they talk that's the bare minimum of of what's required by congress and the dod so you can um i will say this i do like i think soldier for life has a very good uh resource of information tons of i go on there a lot when people ask me for help i go look um and i think mark overberg who we had on here uh head of army retirement um as a guest a long time ago yeah they've done a really good job with that um i don't think there's an eight like a sailor for life one but whatever um i think it's getting better i don't think it's i always kind of looked at it as like look the army's job is to you know go out and fight in one our nation's wars and you know it's tough because all these people seem to have very difficult time reintegrating into society like after they get out i i don't know you know what what's the fix for that do we kind of maybe like tell people hey you know what like you were going to be okay when you get out because yes you may not have this technical know-how or whatever but you've learned a myriad of other uh you know the high human skills as we like to call them things that make you an asset we need to get you to believe that though and understand that and be able to explain like why you can be an asset somewhere out in the civilian world, I think in order to really fix that. And A, it's going to hopefully relieve a lot of anxiety that people have about getting out because it is like, I say this all the time, people in the military don't have a, I don't give a shit what unit you're at, what number, color, shape, whatever they call it. Uh, you don't know what big boy rules are. Well, you're still in the military. You don't. Not a single bit. No. Uh, I didn't. Mike has even said before, was like, yeah, you were right. It's, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, but you'll be okay. Like you will. You just, you have to have a little bit of faith and, you know, millions, just like, you know, I taught, you use the free fall example all the time, right? Our first jump at free fall school. I was nervous as shit and I'm sitting there in the door, like getting ready to jump out and I'm looking inside and there's Mike and Scott and Brian and Ian and all the, you know, these guys are, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to do it. Cause I don't want to look like a little bitch in front of these guys. And I, you know, all that anxiety I had, I got out and I was like, Oh, this isn't so bad. Right. And then the more, and then more he jumps get, and I'm in there and I'm like, God damn it. Trevor went now. I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. um it is right i get it i had tons of oh my god like i was yeah, and the funny part about that mike is that you'd be surprised at how much no 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 sounds like go 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 when you're in the aircraft i like what Amen they said <laughs> but but here's something else another thing that i remember that they told us um when, when we did went because the, the guy told us and this is the same thing too when you're getting out of the military they said oh don't worry that first jump up you're going out the door uh it's just a matter of whether you have the sack to get back in the plane to go up the second time right and i thought about that and i was like yeah okay yeah you're going out you're getting out of the military with it and that was a big driver for me to retire at 20 i thought well i could retire as a 
as a senior chief at 20 or, you know, stay in an extra five years, maybe make master chief and retire at 25. As I come up on that five-year anniversary, I have no regrets whatsoever about just going out that door, right? I, it was kind of my thought. I was like, hey, I'm going to get out eventually. It's coming. Um, it's just, I feel like if I get out now, I'm going to be a lot better off five years from now than I would if I waited. Um, so for, for <clears> me, yeah, I, I knew it. Like, that's kind of the whole thing. We talk about courage all the time. Courage is not uh, not being afraid. It's being afraid and going out there and doing what needs to be done anyways. Yeah, 100%. And I, I'm, I've been seeing a quote that's popping up all over the place, and I don't know, maybe it's a sign from God, and you know, uh, but I've seen it on LinkedIn and several other places recently, and it's uh, – uh, I, I can't quote it exactly, but it's something to the effect of um, don't be afraid of don't be afraid of the consequences or don't be afraid of trying. Be afraid of not taking the chance. And it, you know, that's not exactly how it goes, but I, I know you guys have seen the quote or something to that effect before. And it kind of resonates, you know what I mean? Like would you rather sit back and and be sitting in your rocking chair going, man, I should have, would have, could have done that? Or would you rather be sitting there going, I'm glad I took a shot at that? I had used the example in my retirement speech. Yeah. I absolutely did. Because that was my decision to go into the EOD was, well, I can sit there and think, well, I probably could have done that. Or I can do it and fail, which is okay. Or by some crazy freaking chance i'm 50 years old sitting in a rocking chair going wow what a ride you know and uh that i love that analogy because i lived it man and it's a that's a solid one to put out there i kind of it kind of makes me think of the better to have loved and lost than never have loved it all just to put a little little romantic spin on it you are the romantic (laughs) (laughs) i am (laughs) there's nothing wrong with a little romance mike yeah. <laughs> well, I have to. I mean, look at me. I don't have anything else. If I didn't have a personality, I'd have nothing at all. So, yeah. So, what's it? You know, we kind of talked about the past and and turning it around, and uh, you know where you're at now. What about you know where you're heading? Um. So where I'm heading, I have really kind of narrowed the scope of where I would like to see myself professionally. Um, because during my, uh, my period of darkness, I did bounce around from a few jobs. I, I did a little of this, a little of that, and nothing really moved me to continue on. Um, figuring out who I want to be and my strengths and weaknesses and my why and all that stuff has kind of uh, driven me towards positions and roles that I want to be in. Um, I've learned how to professionally network. I've I've learned how to research roles and companies that I I could see myself in. Um, So I, the the future is hopeful in that aspect as far as career wise. Um, I did get remarried. Uh, I was, you know, 
moments away from losing my current wife during my, my period of isolation and stupidity. And, you know, by the grace of God, she stuck by my side and, you know, believed in me probably more than anybody else or myself at the time. And, um, we're doing very well. Um, you know, that the future is, is nothing but bright objects and shiny things. Any, any particular, uh, or specific opportunities you want to pursue? I've been pursuing and, um, uh, doing my, uh, my cups of coffee and, and informational interviews with folks and chief of staff roles, um, operations and strategic management is, is, is something that interests me as, as well. Um, <clears throat> I haven't really figured out any kind of specific industry that strikes me as greater than one or the other. Um, I'm just excited to get back out there and and be a contributing member of, of a team or company, you know, again, I guess. Yeah, I think like we talk the Honor Foundation and that cups of coffee. I think, you know, other than like finding the why, I think the cups of coffee is probably a close second. Uh, or even a first in some people's cases, because maybe they know what the hell they want to do already. But, you know, the courage thing again, you know, I didn't want to go out and do that. Not at all. You know, because I used to, you know, I would walk into a conference room. Everybody knew who I was, you know, because my stupid pictures down the quarter deck and I'm wearing a uniform that has my name and my rank and what I've been doing, you know, and now you, you're going out there basically naked meeting people you know, you're mentally naked meeting these folks and there's so much, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, Intel to be gained by doing this type of stuff, because not only do you start to establish your network, but you can start actually reading into people and going, well, this dude's absolutely miserable and he's just doing this shit because he's, you know, he's a nice guy, him or her, or, well, this person, man, it sounds like they don't even need an alarm clock because they jump out of bed wanting to do this shit. You know, what is it? If you find something you love, you'll never work a day in your life type thing. You, those people are out there, you know, it's each their own. They're all different, different strokes for different folks. But, not, you know, anybody that doesn't go through the Honor Foundation is not fortunate enough to get to go to it. By far, I can't emphasize enough going out and just networking and talking to people, cups of coffee, have a beer, reaching out to old teammates. You'd be surprised. Most of the people that were in our communities, they're, they're pretty successful on the outside too, because they're driven, they're smart, they're hard, you know, they're, they'll do what is asked to be done and then take it at another level. That's why a lot of us are, you know, a lot of folks go out there and just crush it in the civilian world that have our backgrounds. So, you know, that cups of coffee for me, as apprehensive as I was, and I was a little bit skeptic going into the whole thing you know just do the damn process i just kept telling myself just do the process believe in the process and cups of coffee was not one i was a favorable of but the more and more i did it just like the more and more you jump out of a freaking plane the better off it gets and the more you know like i'm sure at least for me when i jumped out the first time it looked like i was looking out you know my vision probably because i was so freaking amped up i probably saw about the as much as i would look through a 
you know, a toilet roll or something, you know, toilet paper roll. But then, you know, once you get comfortable doing it, you start seeing birds flying below you and you're looking at traffic and then maybe check your altimeter a little bit, but it's amazing what else, what other pieces of information you can gather the more and more you do these types of things. Yeah, exactly. I was the same way, you know, uh, I was skeptical about it because I was skeptical that like, who the hell is going to want to talk to me? You know what I mean? Like in, in, um, in the explanation of how it worked, it was like, to me, it sounded like, uh, uh, you know, cold calling or door to door sales. I did door to door sales for a, a solar company for a little bit. And I hated it. It was awful that you know i i assumed stupidly that that's how it would be like you know i was going to get no after no after no i have not been told no by a single person that i have asked to chat with once and it was totally mind-blowing i'm like holy shit because you know think about when you're a young um sailor service member or whatever can you go walk into your your master chief's office or your your sergeant major's office and be like, hey, sergeant major, I want to talk to you about you know uh, filling out this piece of paperwork for a packing list. What's he going to tell you? Get the fuck out of my office. You know what I mean? So that that was the apprehension that I had going to, into it. Like, why in the hell would this C-suite executive want to talk to me about their company or what they do? You know, they don't know who the hell I am. I'm not going to lie. I I played the uh, special operations card to my favor every chance I got like hey I'm a retired green beret I would just love to chat with you about what you do like yeah hell yeah I did that yeah that, I mean but that's the thing that's like, my you, door you earn, that's you my earn, way in right you earn the right to do that right I mean that's it's a shitty believe you know I I don't understand when people are like, oh, yeah, you play the SEAL card or whatever. I'm like, why not? I mean, the you, SEALs are the best at it. You earn you earn the right to do that. Like, fuck, yeah, dude. Everybody knows. Make it your book deal. Well, I'll tell Just you this. <laughs> you know what? We give them a lot of shit about it, but they are very good at what they do. And I, and my, I, I have mm-hmm. a lot of respect for that. They get very far in the corporate world because they're not afraid to talk about themselves. Yeah. That's the biggest problem that a lot of guys that I know that are out have had is being able to talk about themselves. And I'm not saying that SEALs are pretentious assholes. I'm just saying that they're very good at, you know, hey, I'm a Navy SEAL. Well, they, but the thing, yeah, here's the, and this is for me, I've kind of transformed a lot in my last five years uh, because really for me working in financial services, my first two years, dude, I made like $40,000. I just liked what I was. I was able to put up with that because I liked what I was doing. And, you know, I I thought like, okay, this is my new sense of purpose, right? That was my thing. Like I always said that I have to find something that I have a very intense sense of purpose about. Um, When I started learning the personal branding, um, I didn't really play the EOD card because everybody's like, what the fuck is that? What? EOD? What is it? (laughs) Right? So, I yeah. So I was really happy. Tell them about the the green zone. Yeah, so I was like, or whatever. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Did you ever see uh, you you know uh, what was that that series that just came out that Jack Jack Carr wrote uh, the Terminal List? 
That yeah. was one. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, was yeah, watching yeah. the first episode with my wife, and they they find a booby trap, and they're like "Eody up," and I'm like, "See, that's the real fucking shit right there." It's <laughs> what I used to do. <laughs> Till then, they were just like, "All right, yeah, we're gonna go shoot guns and stuff." But um, you know, I I was like, I don't give a shit if anybody knows what EOD is. They're gonna know who I am, like my <clears> personality <throat> and my thoughts, and and that's been great. Like seriously, been learning to do that and skill set and and just be authentic, you know. And back, you know, my I think my personal brand when I was an EOD guy, and Mike can verify this. I was the guy that if you got a text from, you had to wait till your family wasn't around to open your phone. Um, that was my <laughs> personal brand, right? Still may be that way on occasion. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, sort of. But <laughs> I learned how to parlay my authenticity into like what I do now and. You know, it's funny because like now when I talk to people, I can be authentic. I have the guts to do it. And it's worked well for me because when people are like, well, what sets you apart from other financial advisors? I don't sit there and give them the standard bullshit answer that most people do where they're like, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. I say, well, really, I probably say fuck a lot more than they do. And uh, right. And they're like, what? <laughs> like you see their eyes go up and they're like, oh, OK, well, yeah, I've never heard anybody that does what he does say that before um but and if they're like oh, i don't want to work with him i'm like okay cool i don't want you to work with me if that's if that's your attitude like i want to work with people who are you know like personable and and you know want to work with somebody like me um but yeah you got to come out of that shell right and that's that's in order, especially if you go into business for yourself, like I've been doing. And, and that's my thing. Like everybody always says, how the hell did you last 20 years in the military? And again, too, like Mike, you know, when, when a, a former teammate of ours uh, was killed in Syria, um, you know, I spoke at his memorial and I talked about that, like during our first workup, we were at SEAL team too. And I just remember Mike being our team chief and, you know, talking about calls where <laughs> <laughs> he would say trevor uh what did he do this time scott say no more and um <laughs> right but i i kind of grew as a person and i became a team chief and and i got my penance uh you know for for that just like mike and or scott and i were mike's penance for something he must have done when he was younger uh the circle of life um, yes but yeah, you grow, you learn from your mistakes. Hopefully you do. And, uh, you know, you learn how to leverage that stuff. For me, that's, that's the biggest thing is just like, I hate fake people and I, I just, I do my best to avoid them. Now when I get those, it's funny because especially for people that do what I do for a living on LinkedIn, they even send me those cheesy connection requests and, and stupid messages. Uh, and they're like, Hey, yo, I thought it'd be good for us to connect. Have you done a comprehensive financial plan? I'm like, Hey, dickhead, have you read my headline? Uh, <laughs> you're blocked. Right. So, sorry. I, it's, it's funny. I just bring that up because I got like five of those today and <laughs> you got, I had, so I, I had a couple of them not long ago and, um, that the first one I got, because like I said, I had no idea what the hell LinkedIn was, so I was all new to it. 
and I was just happy to start accepting connections, right? So I'm out there connecting away. I'm like, yeah, I'm rolling along. I got 50 connections, you know? And I connect with one guy and, and it's one of those deals. And he's like, you want to set up time to chat? And I'm thinking this is like a cup of coffee. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to chat with this guy. And I get on there and I was like, son of a bitch. This was a fucking mistake. So I'm, it was an like, ambush. Waiting for- yeah, I'm waiting for him to stop talking long enough for me to say, hey, man, I'm not interested. Thank you for your time, though, and hang up on him, right? And then I get one, like, a week later, and uh, the guy is, like, five words into his thing. I'm like, hey, bud, I'm going to stop you right there, chief. I'm like, I just had one of these the other day. I said, no, thank you. I don't want to waste your time, and I definitely don't want you to waste my fucking time either. So I'm going to let you go. Yeah, I got away from that. I hated doing shit like that, like traditional way of doing things. And I was lucky enough, you know, I kind of met somebody who's doing things the way I wanted to do. I love doing that. Like I just create content around that stuff. I connect with people. I have a very specific area that I work around and I create a shitload of content about that. And I try to put some humor into it. Like my, you know, I just can't, I get sick of this boring post. I'm like, dude, nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about this stupid, boring ass. Like make something personable, right? Make a joke about, I don't know, life insurance or something and, and put that out there. Cause that's what people connect with. They connect with other people. They don't give a shit about your, Oh, you know, over the last five years or whatever. I'm like, you're boring. Right. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, you're part and, of the, the 50 posts that I'm scrolling past just to yeah. see something that I actually would like to read. And and don't be afraid to like, <clears throat> you know, not, you don't have to, that was my other big thing too, that I kind of realized is like, you don't have to sell something to everybody. You can just connect with people and have a conversation with them and help them out. I do that all the time. Like literally probably 10, 10, at least 10 times a week, I hop on a 15 or 30 minute call with somebody and Hey, what do you need help with? Oh, this, this. Okay, I don't do that, but I know somebody who does. I'll make an intro as soon as we hop off here. I do those all the time. And, you know, for me, I just, I get some some personal satisfaction out of that. I'm like, hey, you know, because I had a shitty time too. My, I did my last deployment at 7th Group. Uh, I came back. I had four months till I retired. Um, I guess uh, the, the ops board there in the office there at the company, there's this, uh, I'd have to find it. I'll send it, send you the picture, but they took all of our pictures, you know, they're like, Hey, go stand in front of the flag and with your kid on and everything. And so I did this thing where I put my hands on the flag and I turn around like this and I have my sunglasses sitting right here. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy who took it, he's like, all right, let's do your real one. I was like, that's it. He's like, please. That's that's all you get, bud. Like, I don't give a shit, dude. I'm retiring in eight months. And they're like, Sergeant Major's not going to like that. And I'm like, is he even going to pay attention to it? Like, you're going to put it on a board next to a bunch of other people dressed exactly the same. So, like, I'll have to sit it because it's talking to uh, a good buddy of mine. When you find it, yeah, definitely send it over. I'll, I'll trade one with you. I had one. The, <laughs> the very last one I had. Um, <laughs> no, it was the second last one I had. Um, and this is the first time this story has came out. I got shit-faced and... Uh, fell off the roof of a car in a parking lot and face planted straight into the fucking ground. <laughs> and the whole side of my face was just, you know, scabbed up. And I showed up to work the next morning and my team started. It's like, what the fuck happened to you? I'm like, 
Uh, I fell down some stairs. Yeah. <laughs> so three days later, Sergeant Major's like, you guys all need to go take new death photos. It's like, look at my face. Look at my face. I'm like, you want me to take a death photo like this? He's like, yeah. Nobody's going home until it happens. Like, all right. Suit yourself. So I went down there and took a death photo like that. And it's pretty hilarious. Yeah. Good set. Well, at least that wasn't your last one. Yeah, no doubt. I don't think the family would have been happy about that. Probably not. Well, mine, I don't know. I don't. I think I did some kind of stupid pose for all of mine, which people that know me probably would have been like, yep, that's, that's pretty standard. I got one of me like waiting on a medevac kilo right after I got fragged by a grenade in Afghanistan where I'm like this, like <laughs> all yeah, dirty as the- shit and blood all over me. Just like, Hey, those are the best ones though. Yeah. Same thing, uh, uh, a friend of mine and Mike's, uh, he was trying to get a truck to back up and they ran over an IED and one of the tires from the truck ripped his calf off, like his whole fucking calf. And he did that. <laughs> like I, I came back when he got back, I was there at the hospital. And he was telling me the story. He showed me the picture. They're working on him. He's like, all right, guys, I can hold this for about 10 seconds so we can take a picture together. And I just thought it was funny because like, you know, here's like most people will be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And here, here we are just like, hey, um, same thing. You know, we had, you know, these guys that are like getting their legs and shit blown off and young Marines are like, oh, is my is my dick OK? Is my dick OK? And you just yep. like stick your hand down their pants and be like, you feel that? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, totally calm after that. And they're like, oh, okay, good. My legs are gone, but that's not what I yeah. was worried about. So. This, so this is the kind of thing, like to Mike's credit, that is important to stay connected with, with our, our crew of people because this, this kind of humor is, is not necessarily well-received in the civilian world and, and, we need it, you know. I mean, what other outlet can you have a conversation like this and and reminisce about that stuff? Because if you don't add some element of uh, humor to it, it's just dark, you know. It's called dark humor for a reason because you have to make light of it somehow. And and this connection that uh, luckily I was able to to rekindle and. Um, that you guys clearly have is important because you know you can't you can't carry it by yourself for the rest of your life you got to be able to joke about it with somebody you've got to have some kind of uh connection with all of that you know part of your past somewhere in your present otherwise it's you yeah. know it's it's going to keep coming back. It's you're, you're going to want to talk about it at some point. You're going to want to laugh about it. You're going to want to cry about it. You're going to want to remember it. You're going to want to, you know, Oh no, no, that's not the way it happened. And then whoever you're talking to tells you about it. You know, this is the stuff that we absolutely need to hold on to. Yeah. My wife, my wife absolutely didn't believe me that there was, not only was I the way I was, but that there were literally thousands of other people, an entire community of people that were just like me. And then she met some of the guys that I worked with and she was like, holy shit, like you weren't kidding. And um, yeah, 
Scott's Scott's Memorial, right? We all went to chicks afterwards and, um, you know, there were guys, EOD guys there, SEALs there, it was guys from fifth group there, guys from, you know, that other, other place that were there. And it's just like, yeah, all you guys, like, you're all like the exact same person. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. I told I tried to tell you. It's like, you guys have, she's like, how long have you known that guy? And I was like, I don't know, five minutes. She's like, I thought you guys were like best friends. <laughs> and, yeah it's just it's just how we do so my my current wife got exposed to that this past week when we went to san antonio for Derek's services so she's only been around it um once and uh that was earlier this year when i started uh reconnecting and then uh reaching back out we went to seventh group for the memorial day ceremony with the first battalion and uh, all their fallen, they do a, a rock garden ceremony. They have a, a rock inscribed with each of the individuals' names that passed, when they passed, and all that stuff. And she got to see that for the first time. But she was truly exposed to it this past week in San Antonio. We all stayed at a friend's house in San Antonio. And there was, you know, eight, ten of us all together around the table talking shit and I don't think she said more than 10 words the whole time. I don't think it was just from shock, but she was just soaking it all in. And um, she's a writer. So she wrote a story about it and it was actually, she captured it pretty well. And it was like exactly what we're talking about, you know, just sharing stories and laughing about, Oh, <laughs> um, one of my teammates that was there, that got shot when we were, uh, and I have it on camera when we were, when I was treating them, um, I was telling uh, another EOD guy, actually, you may know him. His name's Brandon and offline. I'll tell you his last name. Um, but I told Brandon, I'm like, cut his shirt off. He's like, no, man, not my Patagonias. <laughs> oh, that dude, that's what pissed me off. I had um, a pair of, of shorts that I wore around the VSO site all the time. And it was just like some pants that, you know, we took them and made them. And we had one of our Afghanis that worked in the camp with like, was a tailor. So I was like, here, make turn these pants and some shorts. They're like my favorite shorts. Wore them all the time. I got frames. No, 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 not. They were just like uh, regular, you know, whatever. Um, and um, I, w- I wore them onto the helo. You know, that was cool. I'll tell you this, something else I learned, like uh, the Brits have some really fucking badass helicopter pilots, um, but they landed right outside of our VSO site. And we, I just kind of walked, you know, I had my little Asherman here on my chest and, um, you know, I was walking, I had my kit in my hand and I was just kind of walking and I was all dirty and shit. And I go sit down in this, this cute medic she comes up and starts putting an IV in me I'm just sitting there like hey what's up <laughs> right <laughs> was like five of us that got on the bird because it just landed like bam right in the middle of our site and uh we get to the hospital so the guy uh the doc comes up and he has this little vial to me and it says ketamine on it. I was like fuck yeah I'm about to blast off in outer space so and he did um so I get there and I'm just kind of laying there, like my head's going like this and they put me on a stretcher and they take me in 
and they start cutting all my clothes off. And I'm like, dude, it's just my chest. It's just my chest. Don't cut my pants off. And they, what do they do? They cut my favorite fucking shorts off. And I was so mad. I'm like, you motherfucker. I'm just like cussing them out while I'm there on ketamine. And I was like, don't laugh at my dick either. Cause it's really cold. And I'd been out, and, you know, it was the first time I've been in air conditioning in months. And, um, so I couldn't tell if they were laughing at that or the fact that I said, don't laugh at it, but probably a little bit of both. <laughs> and I got so mad because here I was like, they cut all my shit off and all I had was this chest wound. All the other guys that all got like fragged in the ass and the legs and back and they left all their clothes on. And I was like, God damn. I was so mad. Uh, that was the thing that I was mad about. Not like, hey, yeah, you almost died. Like, it's like, those are my favorite fucking shorts. And they just cut them off. It's fucking jerks. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, this is the kind of thing that I, I didn't realize that I was missing so much when I had isolated myself from, you know, the real world and, and all of my close teammates and pals and all that shit was the the comedy and all that that goes along with it and and as soon as i reintegrated myself back into that life that i walked away from and you know turned my back on things were immediately better immediately it was like a, a cliche night and day difference if you will and it was just as, as simple as you know, being humble enough to say, fuck it, I'm sorry. I was an idiot. I'm not going to be an idiot anymore. I want to make my life better. I would love some help and some guidance. And that was all it took. You know, and we picked up where we left off and it was as if no time passed at all. And things are great. You know, they weren't for a long time and it was just a personal choice. They weren't great because I personally decided to not make them great. And, you know, I, I won't lie to you. I was suicidal. I didn't make any attempts or anything like that. I didn't make any plans. I just really hoped that it would happen at that time. I'm very thankful that it didn't. Um, but it was as, as stupid, simple as, okay, fuck. I was a dummy and I want to be happy. Just the decision to want to be happy was enough to, to make a change. Always, uh, I heard somebody say this once they said, dude, just get back in the school circle and, and Roger up. Like, you know, if people don't know that's what it. we're talking about. That's when you get done doing something, whether it's a drill or house run or something, we get in the, we get in the circle and just go around and, and, and do our debrief. Right. And it, it typically goes like this. People are like, yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, thought it went well. Uh, comms were good. Our movement was better. It was good. Uh, some things I think we could do on is communicate a little bit better and maybe, maybe improve our movement. <laughs> Shit used to drive me nuts, but at the end of that, Hey, here's where I fucked up. Right. And everybody just says, takes it on board. And, okay, cool. Let's move on. Yeah, you, you own it. It's acknowledged. And you move on. And that's it. And you, it's very easy to forget that. It was for me. You know, it's very easy to forget that. It's very easy to forget all the things that 
were so simple for such a long time. They're so simple and they work well because it's tried and true and it's been working well for a very long time. And you don't realize how well it does work until you try something that doesn't work at all. You're like, you know what, fuck it. Let me just go back to what I know works and suck it up. Nobody wants to fuck up and admit it, you know, but when you do, it just makes it easy. Because people make mistakes. I did. Yep, absolutely. I mean, we got one of our one of our guys. Um, he's down there, I think, in your area, and he went off the deep end back in August. Uh, a story was in the news. We made it all the way up here. You know, I never thought that guy worked for me and retired when I was down there. And then they brought him on as a GS. And I mean, he's been in jail down there now for it's going on three months. And I think he's found himself in a really, really dark place because I didn't hardly recognize him on his mugshot. Like I said, he worked for me for at least two years, I think, when I was down there. And I don't know what's going to happen with him. You know, I, I get on there probably twice, three times a week hoping that he's out, that he's getting his shit back together. Uh, but I think he's got a long road ahead of him because he's got, he's facing some very serious, serious charges, you know, and I think, you know, I just wish, you know, we, the more we talk about it, the more we're educating ourselves on all the shit, the more we recognize folks that maybe kind of spiraling out of control because maybe some of us have been down that road. And I just wish that, you know, we maybe could have helped him out a little bit more before it got to a point it's at now. Cause I think he's really affected his life for the rest of his life. You know, he didn't make the, the suicide decision, but man, he's facing a tough road to hove with, with what he's, you know, the predicament that he put himself in and decisions that he made. And I think a lot of them were dealing with substance abuse and shit like that. Because like I said, he, he was 40 or 50 pounds lighter than when he worked for me. And I don't think it was because he was running ultra marathons. I wish it was. I think he was chasing something else. But uh, yeah, I'm really glad we can talk about this type of shit because I just like the episode with Derek, man, if it helps one person, that's all that matters. It's worth it. It's a hundred percent worth it. And, and I went down that road too, Mike, you know what I mean? Um, you, you, obviously you guys can see me, but um, I did not look like this a year ago. I, I probably look the same as that dude. I, I've gained 50 pounds since the day that I decided to make a difference in my life. And you know what? It wouldn't have mattered, at least for me, that everybody on earth wanted me to make a change or, or that everybody on earth wanted me to make a difference in my life. It mattered that I wanted to make the change myself. And I am not against advocating to help people out that are in a bind but they have to want to do it too they got to have a reason they got to have a desire and i don't know the best way to, to show somebody that other than just to, to say from this perspective having walked both of those paths that it's so much better on this side i'm happy you know, there is something to live for. There is a reason to be here. 
if you know if my reason is to give back because i'm here because of one thing and and i truly believe it is because somebody was looking out for me so but you gotta want it you you can't force someone to do it and you can't do it for them they've got to do it i i can ask for help along the way and and everybody that i've asked for help from has offered their help to me but they're not gonna fucking do it for me they're you know they're not gonna hold my hand and go oh, watch out for that step right there and be careful there's water you know it, it's you you gotta have a desire to want to do it you gotta you gotta want to change and there's reason to change you know what i mean it's it's not fun being alone and living in a dark place and it's it was helpful for me in some ways in a very stupid and sick kind of way i learned a lot about myself never in a million years would i recommend anybody take the path that i did but i did learn a lot about myself and um you know i realized that the choices that i made were stupid the, the choices that i i I'd chosen and the path that I took myself down was retarded. You know, maybe that's a bad word. It was, it was ignorant. Um, yeah. And all it took was a decision, a conscious effort to change it. And it's not hard. It, it's not, it wasn't hard at all. You just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And there are bad days. There are great days. You know what I mean? I mean, we have. But you that. have to. Exactly. Everybody has that. And, and you know, the, don't mean to be a, 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 to blow the story for anybody, but there's going to be more hard days. There's going to be more good. That's just the way it is. So, you know, some of the things you're talking about there in your story, um, I can relate to not my, my own specific situation, but I have a, a close relative who's, who's going through some stuff, some darkness, like you were referring to. And, you know, something that I I've kind of noticed too, is that like, it's not just, I know they're in pain, like they're, they're having some issues, but what they don't seem to also see is that like, guess what? There's a lot of other people around you that, that are, that are feeling that pain too. Right. It's not just you who's hurting like this, this stuff that's, you know, you going down this destructive path is, is hurting other people that care about you and, and want you to get better. And, you know, and I think about that all the time and I'm like, I, I've never felt, like that kind of feeling of helplessness, like how, you know, what do we do? Like, how do we fix? Like, I can't just go in there and, and say to them, like, you need to unfuck yourself and do this exactly what I tell you. Right. That's not, it doesn't make them better. 
it, in fact, it might make their situation worse. They might feel like even more hopeless and just kind of a downward spiral. Um, and I don't know. I'm, I mean, did you kind of have some experiences like that with, with uh, you know, some of your family or people close yes. to you? Yeah, uh, very much so. Um, and like I said earlier, I've realized later when I started changing that I hurt them more than I hurt myself. You know, I, I definitely was self-destructive and all that. But when I sat down face to face or had some time to talk with them and, and you know, give a true heartfelt apology for putting them through that and listen to what they had to go through and sit there, like you said, helpless about it. I'm like, wow. I was a real fucking asshole, you know, and it, the, the true feeling of helplessness, I didn't understand it until they're telling me like, you know, they're, they're calling other buddies of mine, other family members of mine, like, Hey, what, what, what do we do? What can we do? And the answer was always unanimous. Not much. That's pretty shitty. I mean, that's real shitty. It's selfish. It's completely self-centered and regrettable. I'm very fortunate that I was forgiven. And in every circumstance where I came to somebody with a true heartfelt apology, and I meant it every time I said it, like, hey, I'm very sorry. You know, I started every single conversation off like that. I'm so sorry. I realize now what I put you through. I realize now what I did didn't just affect me that it affected all of you too and i'm sorry and i was always told like you don't owe us an apology we're just happy that you're back and that, you know every time it, it brings me to tears when i hear it, it's like god you guys cared that much and, and you loved me that much that you don't even give a shit i mean they, they care but you don't need an apology for this you're just happy that i'm better well man i'm glad that you came on here and, and shared your story i'm super glad you got your shit together man yeah. <laughs> and, and and i'm really i'd like for us to stay in touch because i really like to see where you go from here man because i think you got you got great shit ahead of you and uh like i said man it it takes a lot of courage to do what you're what you're doing do what you did and uh you got to keep it in the network man because i think that's that's the way we keep going absolutely gentlemen i appreciate your time very much thank you so yeah. much well we appreciate you too and uh you know look forward to staying in touch hopefully i might try to come down there the first weekend of may next year for the ud memorial so yeah we got out to aj's and you can watch me do pound some painkillers and make an ass out of myself so <laughs> perfect well we got a spare bedroom for you to stay in all right so all right mike well, thanks again and uh you know I, I, you know not just appreciate you giving your time and but you know the opportunity to help us help derek out too and and um you know we wish you the best of luck as well because you know i know it's 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 hard to do, but you're doing the hard thing. It's that's the right thing to do. And, and I, I hope more people kind of hear this and, and learn from your example. 
yeah, what not to do. Let's hope. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. All right, guys. Take care. You thanks, too. Mike. Thank you for listening to the Get to Vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net and let us help you get to vet.